Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's happening, party people? And happy Father's Day if you happen to be a dad out there. Yeah, man, we're grateful for dads. We happen to know a couple ourselves. We do. We do. In fact, Pastor Rod, happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Thanks, man. If you are just tuning in or you don't know who we are, we each have uh, five kids. Man, and, that's a uh, lot of kids, that, dude. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. It's a lot of kids. I got two for one in my last <laughs> last go round. Um but uh, yeah, yeah. So we are here and uh, hope you're having a, a good Father's Day so far. It's Sunday, obviously on Father's Day. So we hope that church has been a part of that and that you'll be with us tonight at our uh, Bible study. But we are diving into our daily Bible reading for today. So we are going to be in Nehemiah. Let's we're in it. chapters seven and eight of Nehemiah. And then we're going to jump over to the book of Acts and be in Acts chapter three. So Nehemiah seven and eight, and Acts chapter three. As we get into Nehemiah chapter seven, uh, there's a, a lot that's hopefully familiar to you. If you think back to to the book of Ezra, uh, Ezra chapter two, there's there's a, a kind of a, a copy and paste, so to speak, here. Um, numbers differ a little bit. Nothing major. Nothing that that is is really uh, anything of of significant note here, other than just we're dealing with people in the thousands. We're dealing with people uh, in the the tens of thousands of people here. And it's a reminder to us as we read this that what's going on here is Jerusalem is being repopulated. So sometimes we're like, well, why the lists? Why the list of all these people? Why the list of these priests? Why the list of all the, the Levites and everything? And the, the reason is, is because Nehemiah is recording for us the history of the city being repopulated because the exiles are returning. And so as they're returning, it's significant and it's of note who's coming back. In fact, one commentator pointed out that this may have been a way to honor those that chose to come back at this time and to participate in the rebuilding of the walls and to participate in the rebuilding mm-hmm. of everything else, that their name is uh, is inscribed in the word of God for us as a way to honor those men and women that, that came back with Zerubbabel at the time. So uh, Nehemiah 7, the people come back and then uh, the the recording of the, the people and their gifts there, the, the totals there, just a lot of numbers there. And then we get to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 is such an um, amazing chapter. It's such a good chapter for us. And it provides so many good encouragements for us because Ezra comes forward and they, they ask him to what boils down to preach. Uh, and, and what's interesting is I've, I've thought in the past, and maybe you have too, hey, why do we do Sunday mornings the way we do Sunday mornings? Why, why does this guy get up on a stage, on a platform, open up God's word, talk about it, or read it for a little bit, and then, then talk about it? Where does that come from biblically? Well, we see some of that, the, the, the initial phases of that right here. Ezra chapter eight. Yeah, that's what Ezra does. They build a wooden platform and he gets up there not to honor Ezra, just like when we have a stage in our churches, it's not to honor the preacher, but it's to honor the word of God. And Ezra gets up there with the law and he opens it up and he reads it. But then if you jump to chapter eight, verse eight, it says that he gave sense to the word of God. And Mm -hmm. so Ezra is commenting on the word. He's expositing the scriptures for the people there so that they can understand what it is that they're hearing. But I think that one of the cool things that we see here from the people is just this right response to God's word. And it convicted me because I I was thinking to myself, man, I I need to do more of this. And there's the weeping that's going to come in in a minute. But but look at verse six. It says they bowed their heads and worshiped in response to hearing the word of God. Wow. How cool is that? Like when's the last time 
as I was reading this that I thought to myself, when's the last time that I actually just stopped and worshiped God after reading his word, after reading something like Psalm 139 and how intimately he knows us and he forms us and he, it should instill that sense of worship within us. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you, you do point out something that I think a lot of preachers and some churches will still do this where they'll say, Hey, please stand for the reading of the word of God. And, and it comes in large part from Ezra chapter eight. People have done this as a matter of honoring and responding to the word of God. One commentator I read kind of said in a snarky way, it's interesting that they'll apply that verse, but they won't apply the second part of that where all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, bowing their heads and worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground. (laughs) And I thought that's a fair point. He might've said it a bit snarky, but yeah, the point is not that you stand or sit while you're reading the word of God or that you put your head on the ground, but that the posture of your heart is being reflected in your person, what you do with your body toward the word of God. And man, take it as a great point when the word of God is read or preached, let it be true of us that we're paying attention, that we're giving it our deference and our respect. And just back to verse eight really quick, when it says there that he gave sense to the word, then it says so that the people understood the reading. Listen, that's what good preaching needs to do. Right. And so uh, that's our aim. That's my aim here with, with Compass Bible Church is, is when we stand up and we preach the word of God, whether it's from the main pulpit or with our students or anywhere else, even down to our kids, our aim is to help people understand the word. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we talk about expository preaching, that's what it means. It means to show people the right. word. And it means not just to literally, hey, here's the Bible, but to show them the meaning of it so that it's, it's understandable. And right. so that's, that's our aim to bring something out of the text as opposed to putting something into it that we want to say, which is one reason why we tend to stick to one translation of the Bible. Sometimes people might use multiple translations of the word of God in order to say what they're trying to say. And that can be helpful, I suppose, but there's a danger in that and making the Bible say what you want it to say, which is called eisegesis, putting mm-hmm. something into the text that's not there. Exegesis and ex exposition seek to bring what's in the text out into our understanding. Right. Right. Well, it is Father's Day. And so men, as we're talking to you, maybe a little bit more this morning than than we typically do, uh, think about the response, because I think there's there's a twofold response here to God's word that I think is important for our families to see us model and our kids to see us model. If you're Mm. a a dad with kids at home here. And the first one is uh, just the the grief over sin. And so, uh, Pastor Rod, maybe talk a little bit towards the way that God's word can impact us that way and we can model that that sense of grieving over our sin. So I grieve every day. Just kidding, I don't do that. But I, I do think it's important to see here that masculinity is not 21st century Western American masculinity. Here, you see that what it looks like for people to respond appropriately to the word of God is to have a a sensitivity to it and to be willing to Mm. shed tears. In fact, Jeremiah called the weeping prophet. He's a masculine dude. He's he's tough. He's he's robust. And so is is Nehemiah and presumably Ezra. These are manly men. And yet, uh, they, along with the people, know what it is to grieve. In fact, that's what moves Nehemiah to build the wall in the first place. He's a man of tears. He's a man of prayer. And so it's appropriate for us as men to lead the charge in showing what's appropriate for our families, to know when it's okay to cry. Men don't often cry, but when we do, let it be that we're doing it for the right reason and we're not hiding it in shame, unless, of course, there's a shameful reason. But men of God, do they do weep, and they weep for the right reasons. 
right? And then the second part is when they're in the midst of their their grief, they're instructed, hey, you know what? It, it, there's maybe there's a time for grieving, as we just talked about. There's a time for weeping, but but it's not right now, because Ezra wanted this to be a moment where the people were rejoicing in God's faithfulness to them, in bringing them back, and all the good things that He had in store, and the work that was being done. And so He says this this line that you've probably heard before: "For the joy of the Lord is your strength." And this is an important concept for us to wrap our minds around because we just said that there are times where it's it's hard and it's sorrowful and it's difficult. We've talked about this before in the podcast and you may be going through a valley or a trial right now and you're going, how do I feel joyful in the midst of that? Mm. And it's, it's that phrase, the joy of the Lord. It's not the joy of your circumstances. It's not the joy of your zip code. It's not the joy of your bank account. It's not right. the joy of your health. It's the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he was calling the people to rejoice in the faithfulness of God. In fact, right after this, they celebrate the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was the time that they remembered God's faithfulness to bring the people through Israel, or through Israel, through the wilderness, through the uh, the, the desert and into the promised land. And, and they would literally live in these these booths uh, at the time, which is where it got that, that name from, to remember when Israel dwelled in tents in the wilderness. And this was a call and this was a celebratory time of remembering that God was good, that God was faithful, that he brought the people through the promised land. He brought them back from exile now, and still they had this future hope that God was going to be faithful in the future to bring them into the millennial kingdom. And so there, there's this call, and Ezra saying, yes, we grieve. Yes, we weep over our sin. Yes, there's that, but man, there's joy too. And, and that's the other thing, men, about our relationship with the Lord that our, our families need to see is the joyfulness that's therein. It needs to be more than duty. It needs to be more than obligation. It needs to be more than just, well, we have to do this, or we're supposed to do this, or we should do this. Yeah, there's times for that, but there also needs to be the clear, like, Hey, I love Jesus and he stirs my affections. I, he makes me passionate about life. And I love the fact that we get to serve him, that we get to go to church and worship him, that we get to do uh, family devotions together in the mornings that, that he's given us this house. He's given us this job. He's given us celebrate the, the things, the faithfulness of God with your family so that they get to see that as well. Amen. Well, let's jump over to our, our New Testament reading, which is Acts chapter three. And in Acts chapter three, we see a little bit here of why uh, you can't expect that uh, if you're walking in on Sunday morning with uh, Pastor Rod and I, and, and you've got a sickness or a disease, you can't expect us to, to look at you and say, hey, I don't have any money for you, but here, here's what I do have. I'm, I'm going to heal you right now on the spot. <laughs> what happens here is is that Peter and John are going up to the temple and we're reminded here of the, the Jewishness still of the early faith of the, the, the burgeoning church here of right. the, the fledgling church. They, they were Jews that had found the Messiah and that's how they viewed themselves. So they're going up to the temple for one of the, the two hours of prayer. There were two hours of prayer. Uh, this was the second of the two hours of prayer. This was 3 PM. The, the first one would have been 9 AM. This one was the 3 PM one. So they're going up to worship. They're going up to do as they had done before. And as they're going, there's this lame man that they come across who had been lame from birth. We find out later on in the text that he had been lame for 40 years. Um, and this man is, yeah. We would say today disabled. Disabled. Uh, the ESV clearly doesn't always use the terminology that we would use today. But just to be clear here, lame not as in he's uncool. Dude, I, you're I, so lame. You're so lame. You know, but but disabled, physically disabled, which I think most people understood, but just wanted to put it out there. Socially lame from birth. Oh, man. <laughs> No, he was disabled. He was crippled. He couldn't probably couldn't walk. I don't know and if you could say crippled either. I think that's technically no longer acceptable. Okay. Socially. Well, he he did not have full use of his body the that's way a, that he needed to. That's great. We yeah. got it. 
and so he's looking for for alms he's looking for a handout he's looking for money because that was the only thing he could really hope in at this point well peter and john look at him and he, he asks them for money and peter looks at him intently there's this locking of eyes with him and he says look i, I don't have any money but one thing i do I, I can heal you in the name of jesus christ i say stand up and, and walk and immediately the man is, is restored his limbs his his ligaments all those things work functioning well and i, I don't know if you've gotten up after a long nap before and just kind of struggled to get your legs to work the way that you want yeah, them to like you get that paralysis <laughs> in your body right. it's fun i mean think about this guy he he probably never experienced the sensation of walking before and if you've got kids you've watched them try to walk before and and this is part of the miracle he's he's up and he's going and he's he's praising god and he's rejoicing and people take note obviously something like this happens they're going to pay attention they're going to go what's going on right and peter seizes upon this opportunity for the miracle to validate the message and that's why we don't see the same thing happening today because our message is validated by this book being the word of God. It's the fully inspired, fully authoritative word of God. And so I'm not coming with anything new with any sort of new revelation that needs a miracle to back it up. Peter and John have this miracle. Then Peter seizes on the opportunity to preach. And that's what he does. He preaches and he preaches to a specifically Jewish audience here. And as he's going through, he, he goes pretty hard with them. And he says things like in verse 15, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this words. We are witnesses. No, he doesn't. He's pretty, he's pretty in their face. It's very confrontational. Yeah. And and he says, we are witnesses of this, of the, the resurrection, namely, and his name by faith in his name, the name of Jesus has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And so notice Peter's not there to build his own empire, to build his own brand. He's not there saying, look at me. Did you see what I did? I raised this guy from the dead. Contrast that with a lot of the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that are out there today. Shots fired. Right. Peter's there to say, this is Jesus doing this work. This is the power of Christ doing this that has worked this miracle and then he says there it's it's faith in his name by faith in his name whose faith would be the question there right and there's some that say well it's the faith of, of the man who was healed pastor Rod, do you agree with that i strongly disagree with that strong and disagree. here's why the the man the man's faith is never even once referenced as the vehicle or the means by which peter and john offer this guy the ability to walk they say look at us so i guess you could suggest or you know you would be able to guess at that but there's nothing in the text that i can see even though i know people offer that it seems speculative to me at best right so it seems to be instead the faith of of peter and john that it's their faith in christ that enables them to work this miracle to see this man restored to his full health but as he's preaching i love this after he's gone after them so hard and said you killed the author of life i mean what a statement right the author of life was killed crazy right and, and we talked about it before according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of god but here he's he's going after them with that but then he offers repentance and this is grace if nothing else this is grace and mercy you killed the author of life and yet the offer in verse 19 is repent repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out including the sin of participating even passively in the execution of christ the messiah And he says, repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets long ago. That's verse 21. Mm -hmm. This is where, again, it's helpful for us to remember what's going on. This is the time where they remember Acts 1-8 from Jerusalem to uh, from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're still in Jerusalem now. We're, We're dealing with a distinctly Jewish audience. And so he's talking to the Jews saying, look, 
you may have missed the first coming of the Messiah, but your Messiah will come again. But right now heaven has received him because Acts 1.8, he's ascended. He's gone up to, to be with the father, mm-hmm. but he's going to come back. And when he comes back, you need to be ready. Therefore, we're calling on you to repent and be able to still find forgiveness for your sins. Yeah, the Jewishness of his sermon is is evidence of a, a thoughtful and and deliberate approach on Peter's side to talk to his brothers. Essentially, look, this is in fact even one thing that I, I read that uh, I really appreciated in verse thirteen. Jesus calls, uh, rather, Peter calls Jesus the servant. God the Father glorified his servant Jesus. And it's kind of an odd phrase. You don't really see that a whole lot in the scriptures. So you have to wonder, well, what's he trying to get at there? Well, again, Peter's talking to a Jewish audience. He's deliberately alluding to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, the servant in Isaiah that speaks to their Messiah. So some of the things that Peter says, I doubt he would use with a Gentile audience because it wouldn't make the same kind of sense. In the same way, we, we really ought to have some wisdom and discretion when we're talking to our neighbors or our friends at work or even our kids. When we talk to them about the gospel or about Christ or about what our faith is, it really behooves us. Behooves. When's the last time you've used that, Pastor PJ? Um, more than you would think. Okay. But, but well, not recently, maybe. <laughs> behooves. It behooves us to really take time to consider who our audience is as we talk to them about our faith. We did this a lot during our class back mm-hmm. when we were in Aliso Viejo. We spent a lot of time trying to say, how do we contextualize mm. the message? Not compromise, contextualize. Make it clear to those who are the receiving party. Right. And yeah, and you see that all throughout this, including there at the end where he even says in verse 25, you're the sons of the prophets. And of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he's talking to the Jews. He's presenting the gospel. He's calling to them. God's doing powerful things. He uses the the, the raising of this man's uh, physical ability to walk, giving this man the ability to walk again. He uses that as a platform to provide Peter that the real power in this passage is, is not the healing of the man, but the, the message that's preached. Uh, the, the, the proclamation of the, the gospel and hope in Christ. And so uh, just a, a cool scene that we see here in the book of Acts. Well, again, men, happy Father's Day. If you're a dad out there, we are thankful for you and the example that you are leaving for your, uh, your children. And we just pray that you will have an awesome day. And thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you Monday. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.